0: Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information, and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, March 10th, we are studying John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50. In today's text, Jesus proclaims that the one who believes in him believes in the Father. The one who sees him sees the Father. The Father is the one who sent Jesus. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves as content executive for the Lutheran youth organization, Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Pastor Goodman, give us some context as we get started today. Where have we been in John's Gospel? What should we know as we prepare to look at these verses from chapter twelve?
1: So we are uh, we're, we're almost we're right in the heart of Holy Week right now. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and um, rejoices a little bit in the the crowds of Hosanna, the the crowds that cry Hosanna, and then almost immediately start to turn on him uh, as he spends his his week in Jerusalem uh, before the crucifixion and, and subsequent resurrection. He very, very clearly drives out the things that will not make for eternal life, and and very clearly points to the things that will. Uh, it's where the crowds slowly start to depart from him more and more. Uh, and just a little of uh, twenty verses ago, uh, he, he sort of acknowledges this is the hour that the Son of Man will be glorified in, which is which is the cross. In the very next chapter, we have the the foot washing uh, that that happens uh, with the Last Supper, and um, then, then they head out to Gethsemane. So we are we are right in the heart uh, of driving towards the cross. And, and so we have our text today that, that really points out why all of this matters, what the Son has, has come into Jerusalem, and, and even what the Son has, has come into this world to do.
0: So in the previous text, in verse 36 of chapter 12— Jesus had said some things to the crowd there, and then it says that he departed and hid himself from them. John gives the scriptural background to that from the prophet Isaiah. But then in today's text, it says Jesus cries out and says what he says in our text today that we'll read in a moment. So it it seems that this is kind of the last thing that Jesus says publicly, at least in John's gospel, until you get to the, the crucifixion. That I think that makes this text pretty important in the grand scheme of things.
1: Absolutely, uh, especially as we, we uh, start to wrestle with what it is that's happening uh, throughout the crucifixion. A- as Lutherans, we, we jump right to justification, but there are, there are a lot of other Christians that, that would sort of almost struggle with these kinds of texts because they are just so cut and dry. They're, they're valuable here because they, they point to, to where salvation can be found, but also why the Son is going to be mistreated the way that He is.
0: All right, so we again have the last thing Jesus says publicly before we get to the events of Monday, Thursday in the evening with Jesus' arrest. So we're looking at John 12, beginning at verse 44 today. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. What I say therefore I say as the Father has told me. That's our text for today that is John 12 verses 44 to 50. So Pastor Goodman Jesus cries out and the rest of our text is what he says. He starts whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me. As you said it on the one hand it's pretty cut and dry but on the other hand, there's a lot here. What should we understand from this first verse of our text?
1: I think this word sent is actually a really, really important word because it starts to recognize just a really, really powerful truth. And that is that God wants to talk to you. Uh, we, we don't have a God who sort of like hides himself and his will in the signs of whether or not you're getting your way in life or how wealthy or powerful you are, or, or, or even in sort of like, well, will the, the lightning strike if I do something naughty? Uh, but we have a God who actually wants to speak. And so he sends to you people to talk. Uh, so in as Lutherans, we have this book called The Power and Primacy of the Pope, uh, where we recognize that the Pope is uh, it's not, a, it's not a healthy thing, to say that the very, very, very least possible. Um, but, but what we recognize, though, is uh, that when Jesus was sent by the Father, that is in the same way that your pastor is, is sent, so say our confessors, um, which means that when your pastor is, is preaching in the exact same way that Jesus is not there on his own authority, that he is not there uh, simply to represent himself in his own personal interest, but he he is there because of, of the him who sent him, namely the father. Uh, when your pastor preaches in church, you actually get to see then God wants to talk to you and he wants to say this. And it is the preaching of the law and the gospel. Um, it, it's wonderful that we have a, a a Jesus who is willing to sort of establish this, this idea that sending is something that happens because now you start to look past the person there to the one who has sent him and and start to realize not just sort of like who is in charge, but that you can actually find with a degree of certainty, God talking. And that's, that's one of those things that is as majestic as we always want the signs to be. And as much as we always sort of cast things to the mysticism, uh, we end up making God quietest, where he wants to be the loudest, and, and quite frankly, loudest, where he wants to be the quietest. It, it leaves us very confused all the time.
0: Talk more about that last thing that you said, that we make God quietest where he wants to be loudest, and loudest where he wants to be quietest. What do you mean by
1: so that? So God actually wants you to know a few things. I, I know because there's this book about it. Um, we have sacred scripture that that very clearly uh, conveys God's revealed will, that, uh, that we would come to faith. And that in repentance we would we would turn towards Christ for for forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. The will of God is is clear that you believe and that you be saved. Uh, when we we leave. God speaking only to the signs to, to like, will it rain today? Well, that means God doesn't want me to do this. We make the the things of salvation the quietest because you're not going to find uh, a clear proclamation of law and gospel in whether or not your grilled cheese sandwich happens to have a saint's face sort of imprinted upon it. Uh, you make God very quiet where he wants to be the loudest to proclaim the forgiveness of sins in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And you start to make him the loudest where he actually wants to be the quietest because there are, there are aspects of God's will that are hidden from us. He doesn't have a book of Harrison that tells me all of the things that I'm supposed to do. He gave me the Ten Commandments, and I couldn't even do those. So I guess it's all right. But when I start to only try and find God in the the, the mystic signs from from on high, uh, I, I have a a degree that I start to act with certainty about the things that I should have no certainty of. Did I marry the right person? Did I go to the right college? Do I am I doing the right job? Um, and if all you sort of have are the these sort of signs that only you can interpret it makes God seem a whole lot louder when in reality, he simply says, no, I, I know that you're supposed to be married to, to your wife because you're married to your wife. That's that's how she became your soulmate. I know that you're supposed to be a pastor because you are called. And that's how, how I know. Uh, here, God leaves us actually with a, a great deal of freedom to to know that he is with us wherever we go, not because we have made the right choices, but because of the part we're supposed to know that he has given His Son to die for us and, and rise again, so that wherever we go, we might go in hope uh, and certainty of eternal life.
0: Now, you, you connected this matter of being sent to also to the way that God still sends pastors today. So what, it, what does this have to do, and thinking about with, with God being the loudest in those places where His Word is preached, what does this have to do with how we listen to our pastors preach?
1: Uh, first and foremost, that we can actually connect our pastor's words, hopefully, to the scriptures and to the, the small catechism, which, which uh, distill it for us. Uh, because this is where and how God chooses to speak, not just truth, but truth for you. So the scriptures proclaim the truth, but your pastor is there to actually tell you this is for you. Thus saith the Lord, your sins are forgiven, your iniquities are pardoned. Uh, when we can find God preaching through our pastor in our church, it, it, it's a gift because now I actually get to know for sure that that God wants my sins forgiven because He sent somebody to tell me it, it's it's actually it's a common thing. Um, you you know this even if you have kids uh, every once in a while I, I can I can send my daughter to go and get my son for dinner and he knows who's actually talking to him. It, it's me. Um, Hi, and and so when we when we have this degree of certainty, that means that your pastor doesn't need to be Jesus himself. Uh, he gets to speak for him, and that's good because your pastor is a sinner, and sometimes your pastor might be a little bit weird, and sometimes your pastor might not always. Uh, look or, or sound or do exactly like he's supposed to, but God still wants to speak through him. Uh, this is one of the reasons we wear vestments, for example. The stole is the, the yoke. You are yoked to God's word. The only thing you're allowed to preach is is this. And you are, are then freed from having to sort of parse what is just sort of the pastor's opinion and, and what is actually from God, What what is true and what is not. Your pastor is to preach only those things which are given to him to preach by God, which are the scriptures, which, which are understood through our, our Lutheran confessions. Uh, I, I love the idea that, that uh, God would send a pastor because then it's not simply, are you the most qualified person? Because, well, I'm not the smartest person in my church, or, or, or are you, the, the, you know, the, the best behaved person? Because I, I wish that I was, but I'm a bigger sinner than all the members I've ever had. And if, if it's only going to rest on me, well, I'm a sinner. And well, Jesus wasn't, and they had a hard time hearing it from him. So this this sending idea is is profoundly important, because here we get to start to recognize that again, this is this is actually God speaking in this way. And it's, it's also important to sort of carry that forward to what it's not. Uh, if, if your pastor is sent, uh, it doesn't mean that every single thing that he says is always right when he expounds about politics, when he talks about sports, when pick his hobby or any other thing, but it means that inside of the office, inside of the pulpit, which is why we have that pulpit, it's not just to hold his notes, um, but it, it's this block from which God wants to talk to you and tell you your sins are forgiven because Jesus died for you. Uh, there, there, you can have a great degree of certainty because God, God has sent him uh, through the church to speak these words for you.
0: And to connect that to what Jesus says there in verse 44, then, the the purpose that God sent your pastor is to proclaim to you the words of Jesus, the one who was sent, so that when you believe in Jesus, then you believe in the Father. This is all God sending so that
1: he would bring us to himself. Yeah, absolutely. As we start to carry forward, then it even goes to to then not just hearing, but after hearing, then seeing. Whoever sees me, sees him who, who sent me. Um, and, and we can take this to, for example, 2 Corinthians 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that to see the Son is to, to see the Father, uh, that that to see uh, the, the, the Son delivered to you in your church through the means of the Holy Spirit, through the Word and the sacraments, is to see God, that, that when, for example, your pastor holds up communion and he says, the peace of the Lord be with you while holding up the body of Jesus. You you can see what peace looks like. It looks like the forgiveness of sins. It looks like God is actually present in your church in a meaningful way uh, so that you don't just sort of gather to talk about God once a week, but he's, he's there for you. Um, and it's something that that actually does filter down. Our kids are sometimes better at it even than our grownups. Uh, it's, it's, I think, probably a rite of passage for almost every pastor uh, that a little kid will call you Jesus. Um, it, it was really Really weird for me because it happened before I had a beard. Um and, and there was a two-year-old who absolutely insisted that I was Jesus. Um and his mom was really really embarrassed and, and like I was really embarrassed because like aim higher kid. Uh but also in in a similar way he understood you're supposed to you're supposed to bring God to me and, and that's a, that's a gift. It's a very simplistic understanding. But to, to see the Son is to see the one who sent him. And, and in the same way, then to see your pastor acting in his office, to see him uh giving you the gifts of God and word and sacrament is to see God actually present in your church. And if you can't see God present in your church, there's not a lot of great reasons to go.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very yeah. Yeah, I I've never had a beard, but but kids have called me Jesus too. And But that's, you're right, it's a very humbling moment, and like, wait a second, that's not, that's not me, I'm, I'm just Pastor Apple, and yet at the same time, there's some insight there to know that, hey, this is the one who's been put here to tell me about Jesus, and so as I, as I see him preach the Word of God, I know, hey, that's what Jesus wants, that's my pastor doing that, and so I am seeing Jesus through him, not, not whether or not you got a beard or not, but in the words that he he preaches, we actually do see Jesus as the one who forgives our sins, who's with us in our suffering, who's who comes to us to forgive us. I mean, all these ways we see
1: God. Absolutely, and it, it's it it means that the words for you are, are not for you later. Um, there's this this very adult intention to make church about sort of getting ready for heaven. And then in heaven, you'll actually have all of those things. Uh, but heaven has been brought to earth wherever the Lord's Supper is celebrated. We know that we sing with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Uh, we know that that Jesus is actually present there. When we get to start to see the, the sending, what we, we get to say then is there is a distinction, yes, that that Harrison is not, and, and even Pastor Goodman is not Jesus, but Jesus is going to speak here. And that means that Jesus is not far away. That means that the words for you are not divorced from this day, this suffering, this sin, uh, but but actually answered in a way that, that brings comfort, that brings hope.
0: With these two verses together, 44 and 45, whoever believes and then whoever sees, talk talk a little bit more about that the relationship between faith, belief, and sight. How do those two things go together? It's one thing for the people Jesus is talking to right there, who literally see him. But for you and me, I mean, as Jesus will say later in this gospel, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed,
1: how do faith and sight work together for us as Christians? Uh, it's weird, I know, but Jesus gets it in the right order here. Um, we, we sort of want to flip it around and make believing and then seeing. So if I see the right miracle, then I will believe. Uh, if you can convince me, then, then I will listen to you. But it's the opposite. Uh, a lot of people saw Jesus perform great signs and, well, by the end of Friday, he's going to be awful lonesome up there. Uh, but at the same time, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, and so it Change is actually what a miracle is. A miracle is something that is viewed in faith. Uh, in fact, the only time you will ever see a miracle is if you already believe. If you do not first believe, you will never ever see a miracle. You'll always have an excuse. You can see it even in the most grandest of miracles. Uh, Moses rips the sea in half. And the entire Egyptian army is more afraid of the general than the guy who split the ocean uh, because I don't know. Uh, weather gets weird, I guess. Let's make a joke about uh, weather. Uh, but but rather, inside of faith, we simply get to see God is sustaining his creation in a way that sin should have gotten in the way of. Uh, and you can see it in the grand places where I believe that Moses truly actually did open the sea up and walk down the middle on dry ground. And you can do it in, I truly believe that the body and blood of Jesus is present in the the bread and the wine because the word says so, even though it looks like bread and wine. Uh, And you can even carry it forward, even just to the point of, I should probably not be alive today. I have done enough stupid stuff that it is actually a miracle that God in his providence and mercy has sustained me. Um, And and so thanks be to God for it. We we first believe, but then we start to see God at work all over creation, simply in not only forgiving sin, but but carrying on this creation in the face of it.
0: So when you put them in the right order in that way, when you have the faith that then opens your eyes to truly see— to go back to the thing you said toward the beginning of our conversation, that then allows the Lord, or it helps you to listen to God where he wants to speak to you the loudest, so that you know it may not look to the eyes of this world all that impressive when your pastor holds that piece of bread and that cup of wine before your eyes, and he says, the peace of the Lord be with you. That may not look all that impressive. But when you're looking with your ears, when you're, when you're hearing first and believing, then you do truly see that that's God at work, and there he is speaking
1: to you the loudest precisely where he wants to. Absolutely. And from there, again, you get to actually walk out into the world and still see more of it, that, that uh, Luther talks about vocation as the masks of God. You actually get to sort of peek under the mask here and say that in your mother and your father, God worked to care for you he sent them. In, in your pastor, God speaks to you. In your government, God cares for you. And there, there's a great deal of joy again, because again, we can look and see in the outward husks a whole bunch of problems in all of these people because they're sinners. But if God is promised to work and we first hear his word, then we say, amen. Uh, I know what it looks like, but I also know that, that it looked like things were done on Friday, but, but Sunday came. Yeah,
0: which again, that that takes us to the importance of the word sent, that that this is all coming from God. He is the one who's doing the sending. He wants to speak to you. He wants to come to you with these gifts, and to have that confidence that, that these people, these things have been sent from God makes all the difference in the world. So Jesus, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in the one who sent me, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Jesus building on that, I think, continues into verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We've heard Jesus talk about this theme plenty in John's Gospel. What does he say here again about light
1: and darkness? Well, first we get to connect the the previous to to this, in that the Father's will is not the darkness of this world. Uh, that if, if we try and relate apart from the sun directly to the father, all we have is creation. Uh, and, and it can be majestic and it can be beautiful at times, but it's scary because creation by and large wants to kill you and eat you and watch you die. Uh, the, the earthquake will, will will ruin your house. The the, the lion will eat you. Uh, nature is scary. And, and if all we sort of have is this, this idea that this world is how it's supposed to look because God is in charge, it looks dark and it looks like we have a God of darkness who seems to really like suffering. Uh, but, but rather we have a son who has come to bring light into darkness because it's not the Father's will that we remain in darkness, but rather that we be brought into light. And when we talk about being brought into light, we get to talk about light as not an action, but as a, a, a location a state. This is not Jesus is here, so everybody clean up their act, but rather Jesus has brought light to darkness. So wherever you are now in Jesus, you are in the light. Uh, Ephesians 5 would say, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. If we want to first focus on the walking instead of the locality, instead of the the state, uh, it it seems like it it becomes a, a climb your way out of the pit and into heaven. But if it is rather the light is brought into darkness. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then, when uh, when Jesus comes into the world, true light, which gives light to everyone, is brought into the world. Uh, the light starts with Jesus, and it it actually um, it it changes where you are now, and so it changes who you are and what you are. Of course, you're going to walk in the light. Of course, you're going to to want to be near to to this Jesus. Uh, but it always has to start with with this that that light is found in. Well, Jesus, we relate to, to the Father through the person of the Son. We don't go to to try to figure out who God is just based on creation, because that will show you the law. Uh, but we need to be shown the gospel. Creation will show you the law because there are cause and effects down here. There's a way things are supposed to go. We call it natural law, uh, that, that sin breaks stuff to the point where even the pagans can start to figure it out. But we need to be shown the gospel, which comes only through the revelation of the Son uh, in, in the word of God, that, uh, that, that God loves the world enough To fulfill the law in our stead and then suffer the wrath for us failing to do so by dying on the cross and on the third day rising from the grave. It means that that, uh, for example, Good Friday is a much brighter day than everybody looking out there when the sun was blotted out from the sky would have ever perceived, because our sins are being forgiven here. We are being granted a hope that even the darkest of days cannot rob from us. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't get to win anymore because Jesus is here. and when we start to find that this starts with Jesus and then carries over to us, uh, then, well, we don't want to remain in darkness anymore. Uh, this starts to become a catechetical thing for us. So uh, we, we are, uh, by our catechism, uh, called, gathered, enlightened, sanctified, and kept. We, we, uh, we have dogmaticians. We have, we have theologians that study this stuff, and they come up with words like illumination and enlightenment. Uh, It comes, for example, from Acts chapter 26, uh, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There is this replacement of spiritual darkness of old Adam with the light that is the new man in Christ Jesus our Lord it's it's an aspect of of sanctification of being made holy it's it's not just to know that Jesus is Lord but to actually believe uh, because the devil knows that that Jesus is Lord the demons call Jesus by name they know what he's about to do they know why he has taken on human flesh but illumination uh to to actually uh as as the the verses uh spoken to us uh to to believe and then not remain in darkness is to actually find the words for you here as, as something that, that changes absolutely everything. Uh, illumination is to see and believe for you. Jesus has come into this world for me. Jesus has come into this world for you, to bring light to your darkness, to bring hope to you, so that that from this, we can even start to see a path, even from the law that would otherwise condemn me, because it, it wouldn't it be better if things were the way that it's supposed to go? Wouldn't it be true that the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path? Um, then then we get to actually, again, start with with the location, the locality, the state, and then start to deal with our actions. Because in this veil of sin, um, in this body, until the great resurrection on that last day, uh, I'm still gonna have that old Adam that needs to drown every day. And so if I wanna measure my actions by how light or how dark, I, I do remain in darkness. I sin every single day. Every single day, I need Jesus all over again. I haven't quite graduated that class yet, uh, but well, maybe one day Jesus will come back soon, I hope. Um, until then what we have is this this continual renewal that that God is giving good gifts in both law and in gospel. Um here we we actually get to to start to to look to the things that that are actually going to save and then find Jesus there a, instead of just our own actions.
0: Yeah, so Jesus comes into the world as light Whoever believes in him will not remain in darkness. That for you of the gospel is so important, that Jesus is the light. He shines into our darkness. He scatters that darkness, giving us his beautiful gifts found in his word, so that when we believe in him, we not only believe in him, but the one who sent him, God the Father, draws us to him. He brings us into the light of believing in Christ, we will not remain in darkness. This is his gift. We're going to keep talking about this on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Harrison Goodman this morning about John chapter 12. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, March 10th. We are studying John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50 with Pastor Harrison Goodman. He serves as content executive for the Lutheran Youth Organization, Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, prior to the break, we're looking at Jesus' words in verse 46, "...I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness." Jesus continues, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You were talking beforehand about the light being a location. This isn't about cleaning up your act first, but Jesus actually comes to you as light. He shines into your darkness. And you, you've you brought up sanctification, so I think you've, you've gotten us to a point where where we are ready to talk about how our works do come into this conversation.
1: How does this verse enlighten our understanding? Absolutely. It's the word keep. The the word keep is is precious here, not because it gets us further from obedience, but because it lets us not have to measure our obedience. You're supposed to obey the law. I'm supposed to obey the law. And Christians do obey the law. Christians must do good works. But when we start to actually define the word keep, it's not measured in obedience, but in, in treasuring. The word. If if I ask you to keep my phone for me, I don't mean obey it. I mean just just keep it out of getting broken. Just just guard it, treasure it. Um, when we are told to to keep the words of Jesus, uh, we're told to to treasure the words of Jesus, and and well, that makes sense um, because well, these are the words of eternal life. These are the things that save us. It, it actually, again, it saves us from either side of the heresy of either trusting only in, in works and, and not in Jesus at all, or in utter lawlessness. Uh, and, and both of these are, are apart from Christendom. Uh, utter lawlessness. Well, if, if this is something we're supposed to keep, why w- well, the word is Jesus. Why would you want to be farther from Jesus? If, if the word is Jesus, the word made flesh is Jesus, and we are to keep the words, to, to say that I don't need the law anymore is to say I don't need Jesus. Why would you want to be farther from Jesus? That, 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 that's not a thing. And at the same time, why would you try and measure your nearness to Jesus in you and, and not in him who came down from heaven just to be near you and save you? Uh, when, we, when we hear the word of God and keep it, it is simply faith in Jesus going to Jesus. And there we escape judgment. Uh, which is also God's will because he did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. And he doesn't save the world by simply telling us the things that we need to do, but, but rather he fulfills the things that we have failed to do. And, and there he has, has won for us the crown. Uh, for example, in John chapter five, we get to find the wholeness of this pointing again back to him. Do you think that I will accuse you to the father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Uh, if, if you're going to, to have only the law and yourself, what you will have then is, is no Jesus at all. And so, of course, there's going to be accusation. Of course, of course, the hope is going to be built on something that's going to crumble. But rather, if we recognize that these words are gifts from God and not measuring sticks for us, we get to see that everything that is given is given not to, to push us away from God, but to actually draw us closer. So the
0: two ways that someone might hear the words of Jesus and not keep them, as Jesus speaks there in verse 47, one would be to not keep them in the sense of you don't treasure them, you don't believe them, that you think somehow you need to work your way to heaven, that by your good works you can earn some sort of good standing before God. That would be one way to not keep the words of Jesus. And then another way to not keep the words of Jesus would be to just fall into utter lawlessness, as if... The words of Jesus are somehow bad. And as you said, why would why would you want that? Why would you want to run away from the words of Jesus? He desires to draw you closer to him. So those are the two ways to, to not keep the words of Jesus. How does that apply then to what he says? He says, I'm not going to judge that person. He didn't come to the world to judge the world, but to save the world. What does Jesus mean in that last part of this verse?
1: That, that he he comes into the world to save the world, not by, again, giving us a, a tune to dance to. Um, if you hear the word of God and, and do not keep it, again, this will fall off onto either only... Um, utter licentiousness, to under lawlessness, or unto a, a religion that's wholly based on works. And in in both cases, y- you, have, you have disregarded something. If, if you uh, hear the word of the Lord and you say, these are the things I must do to earn salvation, you missed that whole bit about the cross. But it, at the same time, if you hear the, the cross and you say, oh great, I can do whatever I want now, you have not heard the word of Jesus. You have not because, well, the word is Jesus. And if you want to get farther away from the law that he fulfills, the things that are actually going to help, uh, quite frankly, just the gifts that he gives, uh, there you are running away from God and you're actually using the word to, to further yourself from him. Uh, but, but rather, this is not God's will, because if all he were going to do is give us a test, this would be to judge the world. Do this, get that and we'll see how it goes, that would be to judge the world. But but he does not come into the world to condemn the world, but to see the world saved through the death and resurrection of the Son.
0: Jesus continues into verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So he, he says there is a judge for the one who rejects me. It's the word
1: that he's spoken. What does that mean? There is an authority in Scripture. Um, it's not just sort of the Bible is the word of God and so it, it, it's right and we're wrong, but but rather you actually see Jesus subjecting everything even that he himself would say to the scrutiny and the authority of, of the Old Testament, which was about him too. Uh for example, Luke 24, he said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He he actually calls them back to hear, listen to what the prophets have said. If you were really paying attention, you would find this to be the fulfillment. Uh, he says it clearly, and again John chapter five, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. The the whole of the word of God is attesting to what Jesus is going to do. And so when when we actually have Jesus there, he, he doesn't just like sort of not allow his bones to be broken on the cross to fulfill a prosphy- prophecy as a proof text, but rather all of those things were actually written to point to him because Jesus is the word. In John chapter one, the word of God, uh, excuse me, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word, was God the word spoken is God in all authority and, and power. Uh, what we're doing is sort of a, a long and complex way to start to recognize that this thing that that started in well the beginning uh, because the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, this thing that started to play itself out in the fall uh, is never just sort of being patchworked together by God to sort of work something out, but but rather um, uh, as we we start to to see Jesus in Jerusalem about to die upon the cross we actually are supposed to find a comfort in it because this is not simply a are you on the right or wrong side of history discussion but rather all of the things that were falling apart for so long are about to be put back together in the death and resurrection of Jesus here we actually have something that's going to to connect us to salvation in a way that that is no longer based on whether or not we are able to perceive something on our own or accomplish something on our own to to reject Jesus who is doing all of these things for us is to put it back in our camp. And God would not have that for us. He would not have you have to think that it's your job to save yourself. And, and so he, he puts a, a clear connection here in rejecting the word of God and rejecting Jesus himself. Because while well, if, you, if you reject Jesus, you have rejected the word. And if you reject the word, you have rejected Jesus. To reject one is to reject the other.
0: So the, the Word of God, then, as it is given to us in the Scriptures, and as Jesus himself is the Word of God, this isn't some sort of neutral thing that I can hear it once or twice and think, that was nice, and then go my my merry way. The the Word of God actually, as you said, the Bible is God's Word, but there's, there's more to it than just, oh, it, that means it's true, but there's an authority to it. The Bible is true, the Bible is God's Word, and that means it has an authority
1: over me that I... I can try to run away from, but I really can't get away from it at all. Right. You can reject it, but you can't escape it. There will be a last day. Um, and, And that's a gift. Like Every sinner in us, every bit of me wants to just run and scream at the idea that i can't somehow escape this judgment but in reality this too is a gift because here we actually have a certainty outside of ourself our feelings or our works see if if it really is to to be judged on the last day is simply on whether or not you have received the word of god it's not a question of can you get out from under this but but rather how can i stay underneath this because if i am already judged innocent under christ I don't have to try and scrounge up the good works for salvation. I don't have to try and measure this in myself or how fast I can run from God. Uh, it's actually a gift that that we would have this or nothing else. Uh, Galatians three says the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And it's a gift that that everything is imprisoned under sin because sin is forgiven by Jesus. The, the idea that, that it's this or nothing, that there is no escaping the last day, uh, it's a good thing for us because, well, we already know how this judgment has, is going to be happen happening. Um, it, it's poured out on the cross here in, in just a few chapters in John. But for the one who rejects, these are words of of strict warning. Right. You're not going to be able to do this yourself. And, and that's actually a good thing, too, um, because if it were up to any of us to do it ourselves, we would mess it up. If you're going to try and do this yourself, you're going to have a real bad time. And it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Uh, because again, if, if this were a gotcha, if this were a trick or a trap, he wouldn't tell us these things. He wouldn't leave us these warnings. It, it's not supposed to sound ominous. It's supposed to point not just the unbelievers away from trying to save themselves, but especially the Christians. It's supposed to point you away from saving yourself, me away from trying to save myself, because given this gift of eternal life, there is still that old Adam in me that would very much try and say, "All right, but now what do I have to do?" Uh, here we we have this this simple, simple thing. Um, apart from Jesus, there is condemnation, and, and that is that is not um, that that is is it's 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 not supposed to be a death sentence, but but rather a deterrent to those who are already in Christ to stay here. Hmm yeah, as,
0: as I listen to Jesus in verse forty eight about the that his word will be the judge on the last day, I, i'm I'm reminded a little bit of the way the Lord speaks in the Old Testament on occasion, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy, where he he leaves these things as a witness against his people, saying, "You know, I've told you this ahead of time, so that when you reject, the idea is you, you have this witness to say, "Hey, the Lord told us this already. we should have believed. And that that functions then to call them back to repentance and faith at that moment when they need it the most. And it, mm. it, in that sense, you know, Jesus' words here strike me similar, that he's, he's saying, look, I've given you in my word everything that you need, such that on the last day, when you are found in me and in my word, you have nothing to fear. If you reject me, then, then yes, there is terror. But for those who believe, they have the confidence from a verse like this to know that when they have Christ, when they have his word, they do, in fact, have everything that they need on the last day. Absolutely. So in these words from Jesus, there is great hope for us as Christians. Again, that was verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus continues into verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Now, so far in this text, Pastor Goodman, a lot of what Jesus has said is very familiar to other things he said in the Gospel of John. You know, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but the one who sent me, the matter of light and darkness. I think these words are clearly related, and yet it, it strikes me as slightly new language from Jesus, especially with the word commandment that becomes
1: prominent. What is Jesus saying in verse 49? that he is revealing to us the full will of the Father that we are to know, uh, that that he is not holding back, which is is a good thing and, and something that even in the Old Testament uh, that the prophets had to be sort of warned about. For example, Jeremiah says, Thus said the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord all of the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. Jesus knows that people are getting upset. Um, what he's saying is, look, if you want to actually know what God thinks what god wills what god is like listen and it's it's actually a gift that he would not hold back a word nobody likes getting yelled at probably nobody really likes getting crucified um but but jesus is willing to to stand here and say all of the words of the lord because it's important that we actually know it's it's important because inside of all of us there is still this utter shock that god would disagree with us about how to do things I, I am absolutely certain that if God just knew a little bit more, if he was just a tiny little bit smarter, he would think like I think. And and that's how awful and, and twisted in on itself old Adam is, because of course God is smarter than us. If, if he weren't, he would be a terrible God. Uh, but but here he says, I am not standing here just to poke the bear, just to upset the apple cart, just to be a, a political uprising or, or any of the other things that he commonly gets referred to today. But but rather, he is, he is relaying to us uh, that, that God has insisted that he come and speak these words of law and gospel.
0: Talk more about what Jesus says concerning authority. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me. I mean, we have that connection to the word sent again. Talk about the, the word authority and how that plays into this verse. Yeah,
1: authority is something that is given and never taken. Um, uh, authority means that these words are bound uh, by by something bigger. Uh, and, and so for Jesus to to speak on his own authority, um, it, it, for, for me to speak, it's almost easier to say it for, for me than, than for my Lord. For me to speak on my own authority is what I can do and what I can affect in the world. But for for uh, to, to speak on the Father's authority. It, it is to say that, that God has sent me to say these words, and so he will be the one to back them up. He can be the one that you, you can trust, and more, these words must be for you. Um, for, for authority, we actually get to then find God's will and, and word joined together. Uh, when, when we talk about God's authority being put on people in, in this world, uh, for example, to, to parents, to, to pastors, to governments, to the places where he wants to work, uh, it, it means you can trust them more. Uh, for for example, um, we, we can not just go again, who is in charge? But, well, what do you receive in church when you kneel at that altar and eat and drink the, the bread and the wine? Well, we, we receive the body and the blood uh, because it is not your pastor that can turn, you know, that the. the cheapest wine that you can buy in bulk into the blood of Christ, but but rather it is God's authority who has sent your pastor to speak these words so that you can have certainty. I know what it tastes like. It, it tastes like it, it's it's too sweet for me. I, I don't know. We, we should maybe look at that. But uh, but rather, uh, I, I can know. God says it is. God will back it up. God insists that it be true. And, and so God's will and God's word are joined together in something that I can comprehend and receive as a gift. And no longer simply as a who's in charge argument that has to be taken from each other. And, and when you lose the idea that authority is a gift, it becomes dil- diluted into power and everybody starts fighting over it. And so when Jesus is arrested, everybody's going to say, well, you know, if you really are the son of God, come down from there. And, you know, Pilate and, and Herod will say, well, if you really uh, if, if you really want it out from under this, do a trick or defend yourself or, or do something. Uh, but, but rather, the authority, the will, and word of God are joined together. Even here in Christ's submission to the cross by, well, the forgiveness of sins. Hmm.
0: Talk more about that—that that idea that the will and word of God are bound together in authority in the, in the vocations that are in the sphere of the home. I mean, like father, mother, because I think it's, it's easy, especially for us as pastors to talk about those things in the context of the divine service, when it comes to the sacrament of the altar and preaching and absolution, but maybe sometimes we, we leave out the way those things work in vocation in the home. Talk more about that. It's the same thing,
1: Um, and and it's just as unbelievable. Uh, it's, It's unbelievable by my own reason or strength to look at the bread and the wine and say, that's the body of blood. And it is just as unreasonable to look at my mom and my dad to say, God wants to work here because they're sinners, because they're not all knowing, because they are not all, all they're not even perfectly all loving. They love me. I'm not saying they don't, but they're sinners. And so they, well, have the same idolatry that all of us do. Uh, for God's will and word to be bound together, even here, where He gives them authority over me, it's to recognize that He will use even them to, to care for me. Uh, It means that when I go into the vocations of this world, I get to find God at work to do the things that he has clearly expressed in his word in the Bible that he wants done for me, that he wants me cared for, that he wants me given daily bread, that he wants me taught the word of God, that he wants me upheld. Um, And now I can find the the words spoken by my parents uh, no longer to be things to, well, sneak out from under because I don't like them but rather even here these are the places where god wants to work and and yes it's it's not always going to look perfect but the authority is perfect and so i don't want to measure my parents and whether or not they are still perfect or ever were perfect but i want to measure does god want to work here and he clearly says that he does hmm.
0: As Jesus concludes in our text for today, in verse 50, he says, And I know that his commandment, that is his Father's commandment, is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father
1: has told me. Help us into this last verse in our text for today. I love that the commandment is eternal life. Uh, it's, it's God speaking and just getting his way, uh, which is, well... God. Uh, he says, let there be light. It just is now. Lazarus, I say to you, arise. And it just, it is now. It's not a question of like, will you, will you accomplish this? Will you uphold your end of the bargain? He speaks and he gets his way. And his, his will for you is this, eternal life. The, the commandment is that you live. It, it, it stops being a, a question anymore. It stops being, a, will this happen? It's, I have commanded you to rise on the last day. The, the judgment is something that, that you don't get to interject your works into anymore. Um, it, it's something that's wholly and completely finished in Christ, so that even when my works are, are looked at on the last day, they are looked at only in Christ, so that when uh, when he rewards me for the stuff I didn't even realize I was doing for the good works that he himself has done through me, uh, I, I get to be just as astounded as everybody else who was named a sheep on that day. The, the Father's command is eternal life, and, and so, well— in the same way that, that he spoke to creation and, and it was formed into the image that he wanted it, when he speaks to you, your sins are forgiven. He is commanding you to rise on the last day. When, when he speaks to you and, and says, uh, it is finished upon the cross, he, he commands death to be destroyed. Uh, God, God actually wants to talk, which is how we sort of started this whole thing out. And, and again, it's, it's a wonderful thing because what he says is, is such joyful news.
0: So and with this idea, you know, that God wants to talk and he does talk, we mentioned earlier when it comes to the scriptures that they they are not only true, but they have authority. I think the same thing is is present here in this last verse, that his commandment is eternal life, and you brought up examples where we see that at work, especially like in creation, let there be light and there is light. Uh, perhaps another aspect of that to, to think about, not only the authority of God's Word, but the efficaciousness of God's Word, that when God speaks stuff happens. That's the technical definition, I think. <laughs>
1: Maybe you can give us a more- That's beautiful, colloquial way of speaking. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, the, the authority, uh, it, it it's its something that, that we are given these glimpses of other places, so that when we hear it in the more astounding places, we can have hope. Uh, when when your pastor says, in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. That is the Father's authority. That is the Father's command. And it happens with all of of, of the reality of, of light being brought to darkness. When, when Jesus commands Lazarus out of the tomb, uh, it, it means that with, with all of God's will comes that, that word. So, so when I have that word, I have that will. They're, they're connected uh, in this authority. And so when the commandment is eternal life, it's not that just God is rooting for you, man. I hope it works out. And it's not just, you know, sort of do this stuff and then you'll get rewarded for it. But, but rather, it is the whole of the Father's will is applied to save you into the words your sins are forgiven you and now you've got mm-hmm.
0: it. Yeah, that's right. When when he speaks, you have what he says. That is the the glory of God's word, the efficaciousness that he speaks, and that happens. And that is such a wonderful comfort for us as Christians in so many aspects as, as we've talked about. Now, Pastor Goodman, as we said at the, the outset of our conversation, this is the last thing that Jesus is going to say publicly in John's gospel Until we get to chapter 18 and the the events of Monday, Thursday as we generally think about them going forward through the after the Garden of Gethsemane. Chapters 13 through 17 are going to be spoken to Jesus' disciples privately in that upper room, thinking about this section then as the the close of Jesus' public ministry of sorts. How does this wrap up what Jesus has been doing up to this point in John's Gospel? How does it set the stage for what is yet to come during the rest of Holy Week?
1: Well, we've got the word. Now we're gonna see the will. Um, to kind of hang on to this. Uh, what what the what he has just proclaimed, that that the father's commandment for you is eternal life, he's gonna go and win it. He's, he's going to go and, and 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 purchase and win you from sin, death, and the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy and precious blood, his innocent suffering and death, that you may be his own and live under him in his kingdom. Our, our catechism kind of shows us this. Everything that's going to happen here, it's not just sort of play acting. It, it, it is the reality being made manifest because Christ, who has been given authority, is using it not for himself, but to serve. Hmm.
0: Pastor Goodman, we have about three minutes left on the morning as we reflect on these last verses of John chapter 12. Help us to to wrap things up and to see the good news that is ours in what Jesus says in John 12, 44 to 50.
1: There is this propensity in all of us to sort of rip the authority away from the scriptures, because it says stuff in it that I don't do, because I don't want to be the sinner because I want to be the one in charge. and it, it, it lets me sort of then start to apply God's word and and uh, will to all of the things in creation that I want. And so I'll look to the stars in the sky and I'll look to the signs of, of my hearts and my feelings. We'll look to all of the things that, that are enthusiasm, that are measuring God by your feelings. And on the good days, that feels fantastic because then I can say, God is in this grilled cheese sandwich. And I love grilled cheese sandwiches, but on the bad days, when you need God the most, he always ends up feeling the farthest away there. When, when you need God the most, it is because all of creation is, is crumbling apart because of the wages of sin. And, and so here, what we have is a God who says, look to the word. Look to the word and know that the Father has a will for you that is eternal life. Look to the word and know that none of it has been hidden from you for the things of eternal life, but rather it is actually not only spoken by the Son, but even fulfilled in the Son. For the the the, the Son of God did not simply come to, to relay to you yet more laws or even just reinforce the ones that Moses has given. He has come to fulfill them. He has come to, to actually fulfill the law, even the law that is life. For the Father's commandment is life. And well, since I cannot obey the Father's commands on my own, I'm going to need the son to do that for me too. If if it was simply do this and you shall live, I could have stuck with Moses and and been just fine. There were 10 rules, there were only 10. It's not that hard, except for me. but, but rather, I have a, a son of God who even fulfills the commandment to, to live because when he has been uh, crucified and died, three days later, he will rise from the grave. And, and he says, even this is for me and it is for you too. When and when we have these these last words of Jesus uh, before the, the death and resurrection, uh, before all of the things that happened throughout uh, the, the passion, uh, what we have are, are sort of a, a stage being set to, to look to the word of God in our own everyday lives and recognize that this is not a trap and this is not basic instructions before leaving earth, but rather these things testify of Jesus, of the forgiveness of sins won upon the cross and delivered through word and sacrament, so that when you go to church on Sunday, you can get more than a pep talk. You can actually be near God who comforts by forgiving and saving.
0: Pastor Harrison Goodman is content executive for the Lutheran youth organization Higher Things. He's been helping us today to study John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50. Pastor Goodman, thanks for being our guest today. It was a privilege. Thank you. Jesus says, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. The Father sent Jesus because he desires to speak to us. He desires to speak to us words that not only speak about eternal life, but actually deliver that eternal life, that forgiveness of sins, that salvation that he has won through his Son, Jesus. He still sends pastors to you today to proclaim that good news to you so that you would have it through the word that is proclaimed. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to St. John, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to get email from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk again next week.